Father, we would just want to ask for you to shine spiritual light into our lives now through your word. We think about how you guided the people of Israel through the pillar of fire by night. And how by shining that light, you provided protection and guidance and love. You shepherded your people. We think about how you shine light on Saul of Tarsus and you changed his life forever because the light of your glory penetrated his heart. Father, we think about the light that is going to shine forever and ever in the new heaven and the new earth. And it's the very light of your Son, Jesus Christ. And all of heaven and earth will be illuminated by the glory and beauty and excellence and love of Jesus. And so, Father, we know that your word is light. And we know that when we open it, you shine light. So we would just ask you now, Father, Illuminate our minds. Shine brightly into our hearts. Alter the course of our lives by speaking powerfully to us through your holy, inerrant, inspired word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the testimony of Francis Chan in in his book, The Forgotten God. A while back, a former gang member came to our church. He was heavily tattooed and rough around the edges, but he was curious to see what church was like. He had a relationship with Jesus and seemed to get fairly involved with the church. After a few months, I found out the guy was no longer coming to the church. When asked why he didn't come anymore, he gave the following explanation. Quote, I had the wrong idea of what church was going to be like. When I joined the church, I thought it was going to be like joining a gang. You see, in the gangs, we weren't just nice to each other once a week. We were family. End quote. Francis says that killed me because I knew that what he expected is what the church is intended to be. It saddened me to think that a gang could paint a better picture of commitment, loyalty, and family than the local church body. The church is intended to be a beautiful place of community. A place where wealth is shared, and when one suffers, everyone suffers. A place when one rejoices, everyone rejoices. A place where everyone experiences real love and real acceptance in the midst of great honesty about our brokenness. And over the last three weeks, we have been talking about real love and real honesty and real brokenness. And what we said at the beginning of week one was that if you have gospel doctrine, but you don't have a gospel culture, then what you have in church is hypocrisy. But if you have a gospel culture and you don't have gospel doctrine, then what you have is fragility. You're fragile. You can be broken and broken down at any point. But when you have gospel doctrine and you have a gospel culture that is a loving culture, then what you have, church, is what? 
power. You have real power. Power to impact lives. Power to care for people in an internal way, in a deep way, in a meaningful way, in an eternal way. And so we looked at John 17 in week one, and we looked at that prayer that Jesus prayed as he is approaching the cross and as he's contemplating why he even came to earth. And he says, Father, I pray that they will be one even as... Can anybody finish it? Yes, we are one. We are one. And so what we said is that the amazing love relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son um, is brought to us through God the Spirit in an amazing way such that we're called and equipped to be overflowing with His love. And then last week we looked at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And this is what we said. Let's be, let's strive to be full of the love of Christ so that we can display the fullness of the character of God. We want something like that. In other words, let us know and comprehend and enjoy the very love of Christ for us because as we're filled with His love, then we'll overflow with His love to other people. And so we, we actually did a meditation. Some of you may remember it. The, the, I think we had 10 S's about the nature of Christ's love for us. And it was a selfless love and a sanctifying love and a saving love and a supernatural love and a spirit-filled love and a strengthening love and a sustaining love. You guys remember that? And what we just said, the love of Christ for us is so deep and so big and so wide and so high, we'll never be able to scratch the surface. But that which we do experience is amazing and profound. And so we contemplated that. And we said, Lord, help us to know that love. Well, this morning, we now drive to the very point of the, the series, and we're going to call the message the culture of love, or a culture of love. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul begins a new section in this amazing letter. I mean, most consider the book of Romans Paul's great and most profound work on the gospel. It is a systematic theology of the gospel, really. And he says, this is, this is what you're supposed to do with the gospel. This is what you're supposed to do with the good news that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. And so, church, what we're asking this morning is, what does a culture of love look like? What does a culture of love feel like? How does a culture of love function? Now let's, let's just get our minds around what we're asking. Okay, if we have a God of love and we have hearts that are filled with love, then what does an overflowing love look like in the body of Christ? That's what we want to know. Because what we then want to do is say, let's, let's have that culture. Let's have a culture of love. Let's do whatever it takes in order to do that. And so church, in Romans chapter 12, as Paul has just laid out for us the gospel in 1 through 11, he then says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. 
by the mercies, that is, by His love for you, His grace upon you, that He is, even though you were dead in your sin, He's made you alive. Even though you walked according to the course of this world, you now um, are able to live to Him, and you, you are no longer dead in your trespasses. You now are alive in the holiness of Christ. Those are the mercies of God. He has given you life. Romans chapter 8 really details that, that reality in a, in a great way. So what I want to do right now, church, is I want to give you six commitments of a person who wants to contribute to a culture of love. Six commitments to a Christian who wants to contribute to a culture of love. And if, um, and if one of my seminary professors was right, he says, you know, a sermon should be less of a work of art and more of a piece of meat, all right? If that is true, then it'll never be more true than it is right now because I don't care anything about being artistic or nuanced this morning. What I care about is actually us taking some self-evaluation as to in what ways can I contribute to build a culture of love at Redeemer Church, okay? So I'm going to give you those six commitments, and we're going to discuss them, and we're going to meditate on them. All right, so the number one commitment that you need to make if you want to contribute to a culture of love, is offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. First thing that I see is what does that even mean? What, what do you mean, Paul, a, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? What, what does that mean? I think in essence, church, it means you have to die to your autonomy and die to your independence, and you have to live to Christ. It means that you cease to exist as your own individual, as, a, as the captain of your own ship, and you gladly serve as a galley slave to the commander of the larger ship. That, that's what it means to, to really offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And the motive of offering yourself as a living sacrifice, is the mercies of God. Now that is very important because if we don't understand that our motive is because we've already experienced mercy, then what we'll do is get it confused and we'll try to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice in order to achieve God's mercy. And the reality is we've already achieved His mercy. We've achieved His grace because Christ achieved it for us on the cross. And now we're just living out of a gratitude and a thankfulness and we're offering up our life as a living sacrifice in order to say, thank you, God, for saving me and delivering me from the penalty, power, and pollution of my own sin. So the motive of offering yourself as a living sacrifice is the, is the mercies of God. That's why Romans 8, 1, 2 says, there is therefore now no what? Condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit has set you free. He set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
And so your responsibility as a recipient of God's saving love is to offer yourself up daily as a living sacrifice. I've experienced your love, God. I've experienced your mercy. I've experienced your grace. I'm not going to hell. I'm destined for heaven. I don't have to live with this polluted, terrible power of sin over me. I now have the freeing, righteous love of Christ flooding over me. And because I have all of that, I'm now going to offer up my life to you every single day as an act of worship unto you. That's the idea. I wrote out a daily prayer as to what a daily prayer in light of these two verses could sound like. Church, just uh, kind of peer into the way that that I think when it comes to just studying a, a passage like this. Daily prayer. Father, I used to live for myself and my glory, but I was dead in my trespasses and sins back then. Today, I'm alive in Christ. So I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. I know you don't need an animal's body or blood because you've received your son's body and blood. So what you want from me is a heart that beats for you, a mind that thinks for you, and a life that lives for you. Please receive my living sacrifice of praise today for the glory of your great name. Amen. I believe that if we pray prayers like that when we wake up in the morning, church, then we will have the right frame of mind and a right frame of heart, and then we'll ultimately build a culture of love because we know really what we're intended to be in this life. But if we don't do that, we get intoxicated with the things of this world, the cares of this life, and all of a sudden, boom, we, are, we have just lost all proper mindset, and a culture of love will never be built and sustained in the body of Christ. And so, church, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, but what does that mean for me practically? How do I live that out practically? Well, I, don't know. I think the text yields a few things. And so right now, especially if you're taking notes and you're asking the question, okay, but what do I need to do with that? Let me give you a few things here. First of all, swim against the current of the world. Swim against the current of the world. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And, it, and if the world is like a river... If the world's like a river, the the current is flowing really, really hard this way. And so if you don't want to be swept away by it, you've just got to swim and swim and swim as hard as you can against it. I remember when Jamie and I when. Early on in our marriage, we went out to Yellowstone and stayed a week, and I jumped in one of those big rivers, and it was so, so, so cold. And Jamie just stood on the side. She was smart. But um, when I got out into the middle, the current was really big. It was starting to sweep me away. And so I just, I was a pretty good swimmer, like I said last week. And so I was just like swimming as hard as I could like this, and I was just digging, digging, digging. And I would look up, and I had made zero progress. (laughs) Zero. But... At the same time, I wasn't swept away. I wasn't a mile down that way. And there is a sense in which living the Christian life is swimming as hard as you can against the current of this world. And the second that you give up and the second that you quit, what happens? You get swept away. And so I want to say swim against the current of the world. Man, the world is trying to teach you false doctrine. The world is trying to teach you false love. The world is trying to teach you false priorities. The world is trying to teach you all kinds of things that look good on the outside, but on the inside are evil and wicked and empty, and they're going to lead you astray. And all I'm saying is swim against that current so that you won't be swept away. The second practical thing in order to offer yourself as a living sacrifice is to renew your mind. 
Renew your mind every day. You guys have heard the phrase, if you don't use it, you what? You lose it. And in our culture, if you don't use your mind with the Word of God and prayers to God, like we talked about last week, then you will lose your mind to the world. You will lose your mind to the culture. You will think like the culture. You will desire the things that the culture desires. You want the things that the culture wants. And all of a sudden, you'll talk like the culture talks, and you'll be like the culture is, and you will not offer yourself as a living sacrifice because your mind has been given away to the culture and the world rather than to Christ himself. A.W. Tozer says, what we think about when we're free to think about what we will, that's what we are or will soon become. Like if you, let's just say you had a free hour to spend however you wanted to spend. How would you spend that hour? Would you just watch a bunch of shows, listen to some radio, uh, whatever, or would you think about renewing your mind in the Word of God and in prayer and in meditation that you might do exactly what God is calling you to do here, and that is offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. I will tell you, whatever you would do in an hour, and you could do whatever you wanted to do, tells God a lot about who you are. I think this is, came from, uh, Lauren, one of your camps. Um, one of the, I think it was the wilds. You say what you say and you do what you do because you think what you think. You think what you think because you believe what you believe about God, His Word, and yourself. Is that right, Lauren? Isn't that right? Yes. And so I, nothing captures, I think, that Romans 12 passage about renewing your mind quite like that. You say what you say and do what you do because you think what you think and you think what you think because you believe what you believe about God, His Word, and yourself. And this is the thing, is how do you know what to believe? You have to invest your mind in thinking and meditating on the things of God. Okay, the third practical way to offer yourself as a living sacrifice is to discern the will of God. We do this just like we said last week. You, you have to speak to the God of love, listen to the God of love, spend time with the God of love, and spend time with the people of the God of love. And when you're doing that on a weekly basis and a regular basis, then you're going to have discernment. You're going to have counselors. You're going to have friends. You're going to have the Word of God constantly filling your mind and your heart with truth so that you can discern how to walk in this world as a living sacrifice. Okay, I want to say one more thing here. And church, just so you know, um, these first two verses are the, are the heading for the rest of the book of Romans, and so we're going to, we'd spend a little bit more time here. But I want to ask the question, how does offering yourself up as a living sacrifice produce a culture of love? How does that produce a culture of love? Like, if, In other words, are we making the connection here that if, if, if Ryan Limbaugh offers himself up at, at, as a living sacrifice to God, how are people at Redeemer going to feel more loved? How are they going to be more loved? How are they going to be built up in the faith? Well, I answered it in the negative. I said, if you're still living for yourself, you'll never be able to love people authentically. Ryan, if your number one goal is your, your fleshly desires being met, 
then no matter what your expression of love to me is, it's hidden. Um, what's hidden behind that is some selfish agenda, right? But if you offer yourself up as a living sacrifice, then whatever expression of love that you have for me is authentic because it's driven by the love of Christ. If you're swimming with the current of the world, you won't be able to love people skillfully. In other words, if you're here, and you know, I'm, gonna, I'm swimming against the current, but no, it's just too hard, and you just let yourself go down the current of the world, and I have experienced this many times in church, the church gathers together, and, and they worship together on Sundays, and they go on retreats, and they go to camps, and they do all these fun things, but the content, the content of the ministry, the content of the relationships, and the fellowship is not godly. It doesn't build up. It tears down. It doesn't plant seeds of faith. It plants seeds of doubt. It produces carnality and fleshliness. Why? Because when you don't offer yourself up as a living sacrifice, then you are going to offer up to other people worldly, carnal wisdom and cares and concerns, and they're not going to be helped by that. They're going to be hurt by it. The third way it produces a culture of love is if you're not renewing your mind, you'll never be able to love people powerfully. You'll never be able to love people powerfully. It's, it's like, like our brother Mike Diggs who just had surgery and going through a difficult time and having some pain. And if, you're, if you, you want to reach out to him and you know, hey, I want to be loving toward him but you haven't prayed this week and you haven't read your Bible this week and you haven't meditated on Christ this week and you give him a phone call or you send him a text message, what is going to be the content of that phone call? What is going to be the content of that text message? But if you've read and prayed and sought the will of the Lord and prayed for him in particular, and then you send him a text message or a phone call at that point, what is going to be the content of that message? I dare say they're both well-intended. One is powerful. One is not very powerful. That's, that's the idea of what it means to offer up yourself as a living sacrifice and how it produces a real culture of love. Okay, the next uh, ones will go um, pretty fast uh, from, from here on out. Two, use your God-given gifts. Use your God-given gifts. Paul says, beginning in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who, act, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I think one of the biggest problems in church today is that Christians don't use their gifts. They sit on their hands, they operate outside their giftedness, they wait around for a church leader to ask them to do something, they waste their time on lesser pursuits, but they don't use their gifts to build up the body of Christ. 
And this is what I want you to know, Redeemer Church. If you're a Christian, God has given you special, specific gifts to build up the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, you have special, God-given, grace-filled gifts to build up the body of Christ. You do. This passage is implying that and stating that. And so, I want us to make one observation and then, then we'll do some evaluation. The observation that I make is how humility and using your gifts go together in this text. Notice that. Notice how humility and using your gifts go together. He says, man, don't, don't think higher about yourself than you ought to think. Like You need to think about yourself soberly and humbly. And at the very same time, you need to use your gifts as much as you can to build up the body of Christ. And I love that combination. I love it. And so in other words, what does that mean? Like for me, that means that preaching is not about Ryan Limbaugh. Preaching is about Jesus Christ and the church. It means that singing is not about Phil and Candace. It means that singing is about Jesus Christ and the building up of the church. It means that cutting the grass is not about Daniel Brown or Wes Boyd, but rather it is about Jesus Christ and the building up of His church. Cooking the meal is not about the ladies, it's about Jesus Christ and the building up of the church. And we all gladly do what God has gifted us to do in order to build up one another in love and magnify the greatness of Christ. That's what it's about. So, how does using your gifts produce a culture of love? Look down at the text. He says prophecy, forth-telling the Word of God, like approaching someone and declaring the Word of God in a way that is powerful. Well, how does that build a culture of love? Well, if you, if you have a prophetic element to your giftedness and you come up to me and you share with me and you foretell the Word of God to me, what is that going to do? That is going to build me with courage and confidence to go out and do whatever it is that God is calling me to do. Service. How, how has your service blessed me? Well, it'll bless me with better opportunities for worship and fellowship and discipleship and mission. Teaching. Your teaching will impart to me knowledge and wisdom that I need for my life. Exhortation will convict me and motivate me to something greater and better. Generosity will bless me materially and physically and spiritually in such a way that I can behold Christ like I've never beheld Him before because that's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is all about. That as the Macedonians gave and they were so generous, what were they doing? They were demonstrating the giving nature and the generous nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we are generous, then we experience Christ in a deeper way. Leadership shows me the way to Christ. It guides me down the path of Christ. Mercy picks me up when I'm down. It comforts me when I'm low. Those are just ways in which, listen church, that if you employ your gift, and I just thought of it in terms of me personally, if you employ your gifts and you've got prophecy and another has service and another has generosity and another has mercy, then I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be built up. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be comforted. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to be loved. But if you don't employ those gifts, you don't come around the church very often. 
or you just say, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to soak, then I'm going to be the worse off for that. I am, personally. And others in the body are going to be worse off because God has not only specially given you a gift that you need to employ, if you don't employ it, then everybody else is missing out on what we need for life and for godliness and for love. And I just want to say this. I want to say this um, almost with a, a seatbelt. Um, I want to say it confidently with a seatbelt. But don't wait around to serve. Just serve. Just use your gifts. The only reason I say it kind of with a seatbelt is I'd love not to come in on a Tuesday morning and all these walls are painted purple and, you know, everything's over. Well, I just felt the Lord calling me to paint the walls purple. I mean, that's a little over the top. But I, 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 but I want to say, if the Lord just moves you to do something, do it. Serve, give, preach, teach. Just serve the Lord in your giftedness because we need you if we're going to have a culture of love. All right. Okay. So let me give you one application. Just one. Identify your gifts and find a way to use them to strengthen the body of Christ. Identify your gifts and find a way to use them to strengthen the body of Christ. I did this, this exercise this week, and I went from strongest to weakest. And I, just, I wrote leading, preaching, teaching, counseling, hospitality, Friendship, decluttering rooms, organizing, cutting grass, cleaning, straightening the chairs. All right, that was kind of in the, the order. And I, I said, you know what, I, I know I don't need to straighten the chairs and cut the grass and, and, not, and not lead and not preach. But at the same time, if I get an opportunity to do that kind of stuff, I want to do that too because those are just things that I, either I enjoy or I'm, I'm pretty good at. Well, I think every one of us needs to have a list as to what gifts God has given to us, and we list them from strongest to weakest so that we can employ those strongest gifts. Because if you're operating outside your giftedness, I think that we want to say, let's find a way for you to operate inside your giftedness, the things that you love and the things that you're good at. Okay, I had a funny illustration, but I'm going to skip it. All right, here we go. We're going to go to number three. Practice the fundamentals of the faith. Practice the fundamentals of the faith. And church, this is really the, the heart of the culture of love right here. Like if we don't even get past these verses right here, we would have done good work on, on how it is that you can build a culture of love. So let's go 9 through 21 here. Let love be genuine. Abhor what's evil. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I've called it the fundamentals of the faith. Practice the fundamentals of the faith. When I was playing college baseball, my first two years had this, the same coach. And every single day at practice, we would go through the exact same regimen. We would go through the exact same stretching regimen. We would go through the exact same throwing regimen. I mean, we would get on our right knee. We would get down with our throwing partner. We would throw it exactly 10 feet apart. And we would do it for the, the same amount of time. And then he would say, okay, 15 feet. We would stand up. And then we would throw 15 feet. And then he would tell us, okay, 30 feet. We would throw 30 feet. Then 60 feet then 90 feet, and then once we got done with our throwing and, and our stretching, we would work on our base running, and we would work on exactly how to take. Now, listen, watch this. I can, I can tell you this was, what, 20-plus years ago. One, two, three, right here. That's exactly how we did it. And then on our secondary lead, as soon as the ball was gone, we'd take our secondary. One, two, three, right here. That's exactly how we did it. And we had to have the right toe right here at a 45-degree angle so that, so that if there was a ball in the dirt, our foot would already be headed that direction, not closed in because then we're going to lose a step. All right. Now, I could go on and on about the fundamentals that we did every single day at practice that my muscles even remember to this day. What I want to say is that we need to practice the fundamentals of the faith because if we don't practice the fundamentals of the faith, then we assume the fundamentals of the faith. And when we assume the fundamentals of the faith, we lose the fundamentals of the faith. And then all of a sudden, we're showing up on Sunday mornings, and we think we've got love, and we don't have it. And we think we're using our gifts, and we're not using them, because we're not practicing the very fundamentals of the faith. So this is what I want to ask you right now. I just, I want you, you can do it however you want. You can close your eyes or not. You can write things down or not. But I want to ask you some self-evaluation questions right now to see if you're practicing the fundamentals of the faith. Do you exercise genuine love for the body of Christ? Not fake love, not, not superficial love but the real love. In what ways, just to follow up on that, in what ways do you genuinely love the body of Christ? That is, if love is pursuing the highest good of the people you're in covenant with, in what ways do you really pursue their good? Second question, do you hate what is evil? I'm not saying are you neutral to it or undecided about it. But what God calls evil and what God hates, do you really hate it? 
Do you hold tightly to what is good? Like if you, if you know that, that love and righteousness and purity is good, do you hold tightly to love and righteousness and purity in such a way that you will not let it go? Do you love the church as your family? Do you love the church as your family? Not as acquaintances, not as neighbors, but as family. Are the folks at Redeemer Church your family? Guess what he says. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Here's a big one right here, church. Answer this question honestly. Do you honor others in a big way? Do you honor others in a big way? Do you find ways to build up people in the body of Christ, to esteem them, to love them, to care for them, that they feel loved, that they feel esteemed, that they feel cared for? You know, and most often in churches... There's only a handful of people who do this. And they, they honor and they honor and they love and they reach out. And all of a sudden, those people get burned out and they struggle. Why? Because the whole load of honoring and esteeming everybody in the church falls on two or three people. We don't need to do that. We need to honor one another in a big way. All of us do. Do you serve Christ with spiritual zeal? By that, I mean, you don't just simply identify yourself as a Christian. Like you fill out some form, are you a Christian? And you, you write, yes. No, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do you serve Him with zeal, with excitement, with passion, that you wake up in the morning and you're looking forward to magnifying the worth of the Savior who bled and died for you? Do you rejoice in hope? Not, not that you just hope everything turns out okay. But do you rejoice in the hope that you have that not only did your Savior die for you, but He rose for you and He ascended into heaven and one day He's returning and there is a fixed confidence in the fact that you belong to Him and that He's going to rescue you one day ultimately and eternally. That's what hope is. And do you rejoice in that hope? Or do you find a way to be discouraged and depressed and despondent and living in a low ebb of happiness because you're just not all excited about your circumstances. You rejoice in hope. Do you truly rejoice in hope? Do you exercise patience in tribulation? Do you exercise patience in tribulation? Not just when you're having a bad day, but when you're really going through trials. Or would the people closest to you say, no, she pretty much gets crazy when things are bad. Or he pretty much goes bananas and you don't want to be around him when he's suffering. Do you pray consistently? And by that I don't mean just merely a 60 second prayer at dinner time. Do you pray consistently? Do you have a time where you spend with the Lord in fellowship with Him and appealing to Him and asking for His grace for the body of Christ? 
Do you meet the needs of your brothers and sisters? Let me ask you this very specifically. Have you met a need of anybody in the church over the last couple of months? Have you provided a spiritual, physical, or material need for somebody else in the church that blessed them and they were better off after you having met that need than what they were before you met it? Do you show hospitality? Do you have an open heart that produces either an open home or an open wallet such that you want to bless people with your love? Some people have homes that are great for hospitality. Other people have homes that aren't great. So it's not so much about having the right kind of home as is the right kind of heart. And what is your heart toward helping, serving, loving, and blessing the people in the body of Christ? And this is a tough one right here. Do you bless the people who hurt you? Do you bless the people who hurt you? Not just tolerate them. And it seems like I've said a lot about this over the last six months to a year. But when we're hurt and when we're, when we're struggling because someone else has touched us, our natural inclination is to run away from them and to stop talking to them, and to stop having a relationship with them. But what God has called us to do is to press into them, to care for them, to bless them. That's exactly what he tells the Romans here. It's what the Holy Spirit tells us, is to bless these people. And then here's one that I want you to really meditate on. Do you experience people's emotions with them? Have you rejoiced with someone at Redeemer who, who's been rejoicing lately? Have you wept with somebody at Redeemer who, who's been weeping? I know this past week I have had the opportunity to sit with a Redeemer couple that was tying, crying tears of joy and another Redeemer member who was crying tears of, of sadness and pain. And to be able to sit in both of their uh, homes or their rooms and being able to weep with them in both regards, there is a connection that is made on a spiritual level when you enter into people's life circumstances where love is built up and a, a fortification is made of relationship. But when you don't enter in and you only see one another once a week and you say hi, and that's the extent of it. Or you even have a conversation, but that's the extent of it. There is a lack of a connection spiritually that is made. But when you weep together and you rejoice together and you celebrate together and you walk through life together, then love is built. And that's how you build a culture of love. Well, there are just a few more here. Do you live in harmony with one another? Do you live in harmony with one another? A.W. Tozer asked this question, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become 
unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. And so Paul is urging us in Romans chapter 12 to live in harmony with one another, not just in niceness with one another, but in harmony. And in order to do that, we have to look away from ourselves and we have to look up unto Christ so that we can all be tuned with the same fork. i got uh, two more questions for you. Do you think you're awesome? Paul, this is kind of a paraphrase, but basically says, don't think you're awesome. Don't do that. My friend Cody Hill tweeted out earlier this week, he says, don't be a big deal. It's really difficult to be friends with someone who thinks they're a big deal. So, do you think you're awesome? If so, it would be an awesome opportunity to repent. All right. And then the last one is, do you take revenge on people or overcome evil with good? Do you take revenge on people or do you overcome evil with good? Church, these are the fundamentals of Christianity. They really are. They're, 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 they, these are the daily stuff that you do in order to be primed to have a culture of love. And I think that you would be making a mistake and I would be making a mistake if we didn't take Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 21 and truly give an honest evaluation of where we stand in, in these areas. It would be a great opportunity for you to go home this evening with your family and open up this open up this passage and just say, let's talk about how we're doing as a family or how we're doing together as a couple or how I'm doing individually in these areas. And you could even grade yourself and say, I'm, I'm not doing well here. What can I do to get better? But I want to tell you, <laughs> churches don't, don't have a culture of love when they say, hey, we're going to have a culture of love. Churches have a culture of love when people have love inside of them. Now, churches are made up of people. And people, if they're made up of the love of Christ, will be full of love. And so the more people who practice the fundamentals on a regular basis, the more loving your culture will be. Okay. Let's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an audible right here, church. I'm going to give you the last three, but I'm not going to expound on them. They come from chapter uh, 13, but let me just give you those, and you can meditate on them this week, but I feel like I've extended my time here. So um, number four is submit to the governing authorities. Submit to the governing authorities. That's in chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Fifth is take ownership of your neighbor's well-being. Take ownership of your neighbor's well-being. That's verses 8 through 10. And then sixth is cast off sin and put on Christ. Cast off sin and put on Christ.
Submit to the governing authorities. Take ownership of your neighbor's well-being and cast off sin and put on Christ. Church, if, if you would, would you just bow with me and let's have some time right now of reflection. If you can get your mind and your heart into a place to think and make the connection from a God of love, John 17. A heart of love, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And now a culture of love, Romans chapter 12 and verse 13 and chapter 13. Make the connection that what Jesus prayed for at Gethsemane is what Paul is exhorting us to in his letter. And the reality is this, church. Brother, sister, the reality is this. Love doesn't just happen spontaneously. Love happens when God's people focus and be intentional about laying down their rights and offering themselves up as a sacrifice of praise to God and blessing to their brothers and sisters. And so I want to ask you right now, would you spend some time praying pleading with the Lord to give you a heart of love and a resolve to demonstrate the kind of love laid out for you in these chapters. Moment, just a moment. Just in that song, I was just realizing that we don't press into a culture of love and say, am, am I loving so that we can gain God's love, we love because we've been loved by God. And so if we struggle to love people, then that means there's something about the love of God that we're not comprehending and absorbing, right? And so I would say instead of starting with, i got to go love more people, I'd say start by spending time with the God who loves you. And then as you, as you build that equity with Him of love, then you can go and, and love people. Otherwise, the kind of love that you're going to offer has the wrong motive and it probably won't have the right kind of uh, um, force to it. So that, that would be the one encouragement I would give you today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior... You've never been saved by Him. You've never been delivered from your sins. I want to give you that opportunity today. Look me up as soon as we're done because you can come to know Christ today and you can feel the Father's love for you for the first time.